0: The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Glad that you guys are here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Janie, and I'm one of the people on staff here. And I want to... um, Continue a little bit with what you heard from the Target sisters about um, the caring team. Um, Sometimes when people are transitioning into life in college, they can find themselves really overwhelmed. They can find themselves trying to deal with um, just the struggle of being away from home or transitioning from the way life was in the summer, even if this isn't your first time um, at school. And we have a team of students here that want to care for you, that want to help you in the midst of what might be a time when you're struggling, or maybe you know somebody who's struggling. And actually we have um, someone here tonight, like, like they mentioned, a counselor from Seattle Christian Counseling. If you yourself have questions about counseling or you know someone who might use, um, could use counseling, she has some cards and she can maybe answer some questions for you tonight. Once you know that we care for you, we want you to have what you need in order to get through what might be a, a difficult time or a struggle that you're going through. Um, so you can check out that table if you want to. On the side, um, it's like your it's not technically in the back, it's on the side, it's like your salad dressing. On the side. So uh, anyway, like I said, my name is Janie and I'm the associate director here. Um, and Ryan, who's um, been up here a couple of times as well, he was up here with Jan earlier, he is the director. And Ryan and I, we work really well together because we're total and complete opposites. And tonight, I'm going to be talking about things that we have kind of, we are provided for, things we have enough, and how in some ways we have things in abundance. And there's not a, a lot of things that Ryan and I share. In fact, we disagree all the time. Um, we, we, um, we come to things from different angles, and there's not a lot of things that we, have in common but there's one thing that we both have in abundance and that is hair right here's a picture yeah god bless god bless the 90s right so that was ryan in 1994 he's got like four inches of hair on his head and that was me in like 1992 that's a ridiculous amount of hair that i have on my head um, but that is definitely something that Ryan and I share in abundance is hair. And tonight, you can take that down now, Brian. Just want you to show. I just wanted to show you guys that there's something that, that Ryan and I share a lot of. Um, and the '90s were a wonderful time to um, have great hairstyles. Um, and uh, tonight, like I said, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, having enough, having abundance. If you've been here this quarter, you know that we have been going through a series, How God's Story Is Our Story, and we're looking at the Old Testament. We're looking at themes of the Old Testament. And we started by looking at the theme of promise that God makes to a man, Abraham. This is my really technical diagram of what happens. God makes a promise to Abraham, and God says, I'm gonna bless you, Abraham, and you are gonna have this huge family that is going to bless the world. And that's what happens. Abraham ends up with a bunch of, his family becomes huge and becomes the nation of Israel. They become the Israelites. So God's promise to Abraham. And then um, last week we looked at the theme of deliverance. Because the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. Um, and the Pharaoh has them enslaved. And they are delivered by God. They are led by Moses out of Egypt. And they are delivered from slavery. So these are the themes that are repeated over and over again throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Promise and deliverance. And all the way up until the time of Jesus. Those are the two main themes of Jesus, right? Jesus is God's promise of rescue for the world. And Jesus, if we put our trust in him, will deliver us from what binds us, from slavery. And tonight we're going to look at a third major theme that's repeated over and over. And that is the theme of provision. The God of the Israelites delivers them from slavery. Bless you. (laughs) They're delivered from slavery, and they um, are provided for. They have they have enough. God gives them enough when they're in the wilderness. Um, that's another theme we're going to see throughout Scripture. I love how Jan talked about how valuable Scripture is for an entire lifetime. There are so many themes that will come to play in our lives. So before we look at this theme, I want to stop a minute and pray. God, we are so grateful that you are a God of of promise, uh, a God of deliverance, a God of provision. And God, we want to see the ways in which you are at work in our lives. I pray that tonight, as we look at your word, that um, the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable. God, speak to us. Let us know that you're here. In your holy name, amen. Before we look at the wandering in the wilderness and provision, I want, to t- I want to take a step back to where we are in scripture. Um, what we've been looking at so far. The narrative that we looked at so far is um, the first five books of scripture, which is about this much. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's about this much. It's a lot of scripture. And in Hebrew, this is the Torah. It means teaching or instruction. That's the first five books of scripture, and it's, it's a significant chunk, as I said. Now, if you look at the Torah, what you're going to find, the primary element, is you're going to see this narrative story about this guy named Abraham and his whole family, the Israelites, and their deliverance from slavery and all of that, and the themes we talked about. The other thing that you're going to see is a bunch of laws, lists and lists and lists of laws, over 600 laws, which is a lot. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with some of them, the Big Ten, right? The Ten Commandments, that's a part of the law that we're talking about. And as we look at these laws in 2013, a lot of it is, well, I don't really know why these are in here, right? They seem like wasted pages. If I need to know, like, how to, what should I do when my oxen falls in my neighbor's pit, great, I'm going to look at Scripture. Or if I need to know what ephah of gophers' wood is important to build a tabernacle, all right, I got it right here. That's really valuable. But there's a lot of things that we look at that, those things excluded, there's a lot of laws we look at and we're like, I don't really know how this applies to my life. (laughs) But when they were written, the reason I want to talk about this, is when they were written and to whom they were written, they were monumental. They were incredibly important for the Israelites, and here's why. A couple of things I want to point out, because it takes a lot of pages of scripture. First of all, God was establishing this community to impact the world. That was the point of the Israelites. Um, The laws were put in place to teach them how do we live in the world? They've just spent a couple hundred years enslaved in Egypt, so they don't really know how to live as a community. And God wanted them to know how do you live as a loving, grace-filled community that is gonna be different than the world around you? Many of the cultures around them were, were a little bit crazy. To us, thou shalt not kill. No brainer, right? Duh. That was not the case when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. Some of the surrounding cultures would regularly sacrifice their children; it was a common practice. So they needed to know what is a way to live that's according to God's way, and what is a way to live that is not. An eye for an eye, right? We think we hear that. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's in the Old Testament. We hear that and we're like, wow, that's pretty brutal. But comparatively, retribution. At the time, in most of the cultures, it was not an eye for an eye. If someone took out your eye, what you would do is up the stakes. You would go and whack off their arm or whatever would be above gouging out someone's eye. So an eye for an eye, although it seems crazy to us because we know the, the law that Jesus brought, it was actually grace-filled in comparison to what Israel was surrounded with. God wanted to set them apart from many of the societies that were around them. He wanted them to be a people that were living in a way that had this healthy, loving respect for life and creation, which is not the way the most of the world was living at the time. When we we hear what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is upping the law again. he's He's bringing more love and more grace into the law in order for us to live in a way that's even more loving toward the world around us. Second thing that, you, that we need to know about, why do we have the law? Israel received promises from God. They were delivered from slavery from their God. And they were provided for from their God. And these laws were offering a pathway to live like God. right? God was holy and they wanted to worship their God. They have all these purity laws in order to know how do I, how can we be holy in order to live like our God who's holy. And their God heard their cries when they were slaves. And what did their God do? Their God delivered them. Their God cares about the poor and the oppressed. And in any other culture around that time, the poor and the oppressed were on the outskirts. They were not cared for at all. And God told the Israelites, you care for the widow and the orphan. You care for the enslaved and the oppressed, for the foreigner in your midst. So the way that God was telling the Israelites to live It was revolutionary. I mean, it was completely different from the world around them. Instead of casting out, they would receive and accept and love. Without it, the Israelites would have no idea how to bring God's blessings into the world. That's why the law matters. That's why it's important. And while the actual characteristics of the law, the way that they lived it out, might not speak to us in 2013, what does is that they are people who are living different amongst a bunch of a bunch amongst the culture around them that doesn't understand the way that they're living amongst the culture that does not make love and grace and acceptance a priority similar to what we have and what you guys are facing in your college lives that's what the israelites were experiencing that's why we care about the law now, there's a lot more that can be said about the law and Jesus as the, as the fulfillment of the law in our lives. But I want us to know that we shouldn't just disregard it as not important to our lives as Christians. What I want us to remember is that it gives us a picture of the character of God. And it gives us a picture of a community that is trying to live differently and impact the world around it. That's the purpose of it. And when we, when we read scripture, we are going to hear about the law over and over and over again. It was incredibly important to Israel. And when we're trying to figure out how do we live our lives as Christians, we can remember there's another community um, that came before us that was trying to live different in a world um, that didn't want to receive it. And what the law tells Israel and tells us over and over is that God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. God is a God of promise. God is a God of deliverance. God is a God of provision. So let's take a look of the narrative story, enter into the story of the Israelites um, and the provision that God provides, provision that God provides, provision that God offers. Um, so the Israelites are delivered from slavery in Egypt and they go into the wilderness and in the wilderness, that's when they receive the law, that's when they're figuring out how do we do this, how do we live as a community, and they they have the law Delivered to them, and they're wandering around the wilderness. I have a map here that shows for a lot of time um, Israel was trying to figure out how to live, and they were wandering around the wilderness. This is kind of a path with a pathway that they took, led by Moses. Shockingly, they were uh, the wandering piece was not popular in the eyes of the, in the eyes of the Israelites. They weren't that excited about it. So let's take a look at um, Exodus 16. This picks up after um, the deliverance from slavery. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve, this entire assembly to death. This is perfect, right? God had delivered them from slavery from probably one of the most powerful nations in the world at the time. They had seen amazing miracles. They had walked across the Red Sea on dry land, and it's not even two months later, and already they're saying, Man, I wish we would have just died in Egypt, because at least we would have had pots of food. Which, when you think about it, it, doesn't make sense, because if you're dead, then what difference does it make if you have food? But they were not thinking logically this is coming from a place of emotion, right? How quickly the trust turns to complaining when it doesn't look exactly like they think it should look. They would rather go back to slavery because of the security that it provides instead of the freedom that God offers. I think this sounds familiar. So often we find ourselves going back to old habits, the way we used to live in a former lifestyle, because it's secure. At least it's something that we know. At least there's friends know that we can trust. Instead of relying on the freedom that God has for us, because it's unknown. Because we don't know what is in front of us. The Israelites had a hard time trusting provision. So here's God's response, starting in verse 11 of the same chapter. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Each one had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Shocking. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Yum. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. God provides for his people exactly what they need. Each household has what it needs in order to be satisfied. When they try to make take more than they needed, when they got greedy, it wouldn't last. It was full of worms. God provides enough for the Israelites. In, in the difficult circumstances that they're in, even though they're wandering around the desert, God provides God is a God who provides. God tells them, I got you. As we look at the story of God's provision for the Israelites, there's elements that are difficult to relate to, I think. I mean, um, we can all admit we are extremely privileged people. We never wonder where our next meal might be coming from. If we really look at our lives, we can see there is so much provision We have so much provision in our lives, yet somehow we seem to focus on all the things that we think we need in order for our lives to be better. I need more. I need different. I need new. I need perfection. What God is trying to tell the Israelites is I will provide and it will be enough. I think in our culture we are almost trained to be unhappy, right? That's just the way that we think about our lives, right? How often do we look at our smartphone and are like, Oh, God, I need a new one. This is so. This is taking forever. I hate this phone. If you ever just stop and listen to the way we talk, we always kind of seem to be one upping each other about how terrible our situation seems. Um, you guys might be familiar with the comedian Louis C.K. A couple months ago, he kind of went off about smartphones and how he would never, why he would never buy his daughter one. But uh, a few years ago, he was on the Conan O'Brien show and he was talking about how. Everything's amazing and nobody's happy. Right? Everything's amazing and nobody's happy. And he talks specifically about plane flights and riding on a plane. So we have a clip of him um, talking about everything's amazing and nobody's happy.
1: Is the worst one because people come back from flights and they tell you their story and it's like a horror story It's they act like their flight was like a cattle car in the 40s in Germany. That's how bad they make it sound, right? They're like it was the worst day of my life First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes And then we get on the plane and they made us sit there on the runway for 40 minutes we had to sit there. Oh, really? What happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly <laughs> like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero? That you have to fly? You're flying! It's amazing! Everybody on every plane should just constantly be going, Oh, my God! Wow! Yes! You're flying. You're, you're sitting in a chair... In the sky. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, he's got it. Got it, got it there. Yeah. Sitting in a chair in the sky. Yet when we when we land, it's like the worst experience of my life. Oh my gosh, I have to go to baggage claim. This is taking forever. But you just sat in a chair at three thousand feet, right? How much time do we waste complaining about what we don't have instead of acknowledging all that we do? All of the ways that God has provided for us. Unfortunately, most of the time, we do not live like people who have enough. We live as though there's scarcity. As though there is not enough to go around. And even if there is, we think it won't last. I hear students talk about this all the time with God's love think God's got enough love for him. God's got enough love for her. I don't think God's got enough love for me. Or it's not going to last. It's going to go away. What the Israelites lacked and what we lack is trust. That God is going to provide. God's got us. And when we're convinced there's scarcity, that's when anxiety enters in. And it starts to rise and fear. Rules, And we make all of our decisions out of fear. Instead of grounded in the foundation that God will provide. That's why we need to know scripture. We need to remember memories we've never had about God providing for the Israelites. No matter where we end up down the road. No matter what major we choose. No matter what job or internship we get or don't get. God's provision is there for you. In some way, shape, or form. Jesus wants us to know, probably above anything else in the New Testament, trust God's provision for today. It will be enough. More than enough for what you truly need. What would happen if we were people who saw that we have enough? We're provided for. A lot of you guys know Brian Petermeyer, yeah? Yeah? Yeah, call him Petey. I don't know if you've been around Petey when um, there's food, a lot of food involved. One of Brian's biggest pet peeves is when you're when you're at a Christian event and we're having um, you know an activity or something, and there's like brownies or donuts or pizza. He gets so frustrated when someone leaves the last piece. He's like, you always know you're with a bunch of Christians because someone leaves the last piece, someone leaves the last brownie, someone leaves the last donut. He says, I think it's because we all think we need to be polite. And if you go to just cut off a part of that brownie, he will stop you. No! You take that whole brownie! Do not leave anything on the plate. I like to think maybe this is the picture of people who can trust that they have enough. That We can leave stuff on the plate. We trust that we are satisfied. We don't live in scarcity. We have had enough. Maybe you found yourself in the wilderness, going through a period of your spiritual life where, or just your life in general, where it seems barren and dry. You feel far from God, from other people. You feel lonely. You're stuck in broken relationships. You're in bondage to things that you used to do, and you stopped, and now you've gone back to them. You've cried out to God like the Israelites, God, where are you? God, I need this to change. I need your provision. Help me. I've definitely had experiences in the wilderness lots of times in my life, in my spiritual life. And there are experiences where I have said, God, where are you? Why does my life look like this? When will you provide for me? And it sucks. Jan's still here. I should not have said that. It's awful. Being in the wilderness is the most miserable, lonely place to be. Someone much wiser than me said, if you find yourself in need of God's provision, it's only when you change what you're looking for that you actually might see God providing for you. When we shift our vision from what we expect it to look like, what we expect God's vision, vision to look like, to what God's vision might be, Those are usually two completely different things. In Exodus, God fed the Israelites with bread from heaven, and the Israelites walked out, looked at it, and said, Mena, which literally means, what is it? That's what it's called, what is it? The Israelites cried out to God in the wilderness, and he provided for them with something they have never seen before. Totally unexpected, that they would never recognize. But they trusted it, they ate it, and they lived. They thrived. We have to be careful not to turn away from something because it's different than what we expected. Because we wanted it to look different, we have to open our eyes to the vision that God might be providing for us in a way that we would have never noticed before. Sometimes we can't even see... We can't see God's provision, and sometimes we can, and we decide, I refuse to be satisfied that way by God. I don't want that to be the way God provides for me. When I was 15, I started praying... um, I started praying for my husband. I started praying that he would be someone that would love me and care for me. And he would help me become who God created me to be more than anyone else. And also, P.S., God would be great if it would be super sweet if it was hot, too. (laughs) 20 years later, and I'm still single. I'm still praying that same prayer. That was not my plan for my life at all. And slowly, over time, as I've gotten older, most of my friends have gotten married and they've had children. Um, and pretty much, I'm, I, at this point, one of the only people I know my age who is still single. And I don't mind being single. I don't want you to give the impression I'm like, oh, woe is me, it's awful. Instead of sending pictures of my family to people, I send pictures of myself sleeping late with lots of extra money. It's great. <laughs> and I talk to my friends who are married, and I'm like, wow. I don't know if I would want to trade places with you. Marriage is probably not the answer to all of the things that I wanted it to be. But sometimes being married can be hard. Sometimes I'll meet with students who have just gone through a breakup, and they'll say, oh man, if I am not married by the time I'm 30, I think I want to die. I get it. Oh man, it's rough. <laughs> There's one day a few years ago, it was about five years ago, and I still had a few single friends, and I remember getting a call on January 2nd from one of my friends and that we've been friends for life, and she was so excited. She just got engaged. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited for you, Cheryl. That's so great. Yes, I would love to participate in your wedding. And then a few hours later, I got a phone call from another friend. Oh, my gosh, Jared, I'm so excited. You got engaged. Yes, I would love to participate in your wedding. Two friends the exact same day, and these are two of the last friends I had that I was single that, was, that were also single. And I remember laying on my bed, and the loneliness was overwhelming. I was totally overwhelmed, and I just like, God... Where's my provision? And I don't know where it came from I don't know if, if some if I read it somewhere or maybe God spoke to me audibly the heavens opened up but I remember what I heard was shift your vision. Shift your vision look around and I had this narrow vision right of a husband would provide all these things. So I opened it up and I saw I over these 20 years I've been so cared for I've been so loved I've been blessed with incredible relationships. I have had experiences living in different places around the U.S. I've traveled all over the world. I have been shaped by so many people who have all who have all contributed to helping me be who God created me to be. I didn't need one person to make me who I am. But my vision for what that would look like was incredibly narrow until I opened it up and I saw, wow. God totally surprised me with provision that I never would have seen. So now, whenever being single gets me down, I close my eyes and I take a deep breath. And then I go do pretty much whatever I want whenever I want to. (laughs) How God chooses to satisfy our needs, how God chooses to provide for us, is very different than what we expect all the time. We have to broaden the vision of where God's provision might be. If we, if we refuse to receive the amazing vision that God has for us, we are going to live anxious, unsatisfied, bitter, fear-filled lives. God told the Israelites, I will provide for you. God wants us to know. God wants you to know. I am enough for you. I will provide for you. I got you. To close tonight, I want to give you a minute just to reflect, to pray. I have two questions that I want you to pray to God. I want you to tell God, where do you most need provision? Where do you need God to fill you up? And then I want you to ask God to change your vision, help you see where he might be providing for you. God, we ask that you would hear our prayers. We ask that you would change our vision. We ask that you would open our hearts to you.